the nudge. We're we're talking novel writing, and I would love to talk a little bit more about the nitty gritty of it. Um, I for some reason novel writing appears as its own thing sometimes. Like it, it can it, it's its own genre of writing and demands its own practices and its own uh, um, kind of specific thoughts uh, on writing. And like uh, whenever whenever I'm right when, whenever I'm writing or whenever I get off of writing, I always feel like I have a thought or two that I'm like I really want to share this with Eric or Matt uh, when when we meet up. Like this is uh, it's just like so that's really prevalent in my mind all the time. And um, so I, I guess one one question I have is like what what was like the uh, your was Ugo your first experience with novel writing, and uh, what was that like? Like, how was it different from anything else? Mm. I, uh, I would say no. I I I did a a couple of NaNoWriMo's. I did one NaNoWriMo in particular that. Uh, takes me back to the feeling of writing a novel and that was uh, mm-hmm. detective argentine and the five fighting iron casters uh hell yeah yeah uh that that is that will someday be a book it still has a whole body uh you know kind of like the one we're talking about that 40 pages to 80 pages of this is not a done story um mm-hmm. And I'd be curious, of course, if uh, um, certain people do um, like when they they develop that forty to eighty pages. I think some people probably go start to finish, and then they have to go back and like fill in the middles. I get like a really big start. I get you know mostly start, and then I have like weird days, glimmerings of future stuff, of end stuff, or of. Uh, subsidiary material that could be used in some way um anyway uh detective argentine was the first effort i really had at novel writing uh and i don't know why i decided that ugo needed to be the first book uh, because it's not the first one i tried but uh, taking it from that initial surge of um you know laying on the couch and doing it um it, it it it's 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 all in the reapproach it seems like it seems like it's all in the ability to sit back down with the same material and uh for me when for me the next time i still have to rewrite the whole thing um or i had to with ugo and i don't know if that's i hope to god that that is not a mandatory thing that I have to do every time that that was like a first novel approach, Mm -hmm. you know, like at some point, can I please just write it, you know, and then just tack on to the end. Um, But I don't know, man, I like I, I'm uh, comparing it very quickly to the stuff we did with the barn. Um, The, 
even even taking such a small piece as as the Barton piece that we wrote and just saying, okay, like just write more, just add from here on. There is a feeling of like uh, trying to um, uh, graft a tree where you have like, I'm going to take an existing tree, I'm going to cut a part of it, and I know that it's living matter that's now exposed, and I'm just going to like attach this other living matter to it, <laughs> and then I'm going to bind it really tight, and then maybe in like two to ten years, people are just going to totally not notice <laughs> the fact that this is two different trees. Um, and and with a novel that that's even more glaring. It feels like it feels like you you're like a totally different person the second time you approach it. You're the writing. You're looking at the writing and the sentences you're using. You're like people are going to be think this is this guy's like a Scottish person and an Irish person, you know, writing the same thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, this is done. Like we see it in novels where uh one chapter was a short story at first and then somebody went up to the to the writer probably somebody with money and said write a whole book out of this short story um or the short story just got popular and they were like why not just make it mm. into something longer um and i think with uh i i have that thought like can you notice can you notice the place where writing has been grafted mm. um, and I think it, it feels so glaring in my own writing. However, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't realistically feel very glaring in other people's writing. I'm thinking of The Things We Carried by Tim O'Brien. Mm -hmm. One chapter is essentially, like, it, it hardly, I don't think it's hardly modified um, between the short story and, and the full book. And there are plenty of other literary novels where this happens. Um, so I, I, I pray that there is a moment in time in our writing lives when we can, when we can write the full thing, uh, we can write that, that first draft, whether it's 90 pages or, you know, like a full, a full um, length manuscript, and we can look back on it and be like, okay, it's not what I wanted it to be or thought it was going to be, but I'm going to treat it as it is for what it is and um you know shave down the edges and make it into mm -hmm. uh into a new thing i'm i same as you i pray for that day mm -hmm. but like that's really every single time i start writing something of length like the manuscript i'm working on now i'm just really hoping that i get to the end and uh it's it's I don't care if it's an intense operation, like I'll, I'll sit there and edit the thing for a year or two if it's, uh, you know, that's perfectly fine. Um, but rewriting the whole thing is such a, so it, it's such an emotional mm. buster because you're just, um, you're just wrestling with, with in, when you start doing it, you know that it's just gonna take years more of your life and you just know uh, you're staring down a long time. Yeah. With uh, Ugo's rewrites, the frustration or the, the, the battle inside was one of uh, trust. Uh, uh, there's 
you you look down you you re you you write the first one right it's like a year and a half later you're willing to bring it up in front of you and read through it and just kind of shake your head and uh and then you rewrite and it's like that same feeling happens that happened at the end of the first one, which is I've written a novel. I've done it, you know, but somehow I'm still only at 110 pages. You know, somehow, <laughs> somehow, despite being at the end of this story, uh, I'm not or I, I feel incomplete in some way. And, uh, you know, I think I have a, a uh, tendency or a... Uh, like a way of resolving that maybe uh, that is to give it to people and giving it to people. The response is uh, it's never enough to gauge I'm done with this. It's never enough to say like this is well and truly gone. I think the only thing that somebody has ever said is uh, to make me feel like this is this is done now when I handed off Ugo's fourth draft or something uh, was when my friend Johnny, who is the editor who I actually paid money to from the Kickstarter, uh, was like, you just need to call this done. Like finish chapter two, clean that up, and just you need to get this out and get on with this. And it, he, he wasn't saying that like you've done it. It was never a feeling of – uh, of that, but, uh, but somebody admitting that, um, it's time for you to let this go what, as it is. Um, and I still ended up rewriting it one more time, uh, even after he said that just so that he could read something different, uh, when he finally read the final piece. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, we've talked about the, the, the layering effect, uh, wherein you put draft one at the bottom and draft five at the top, and you cut holes chronologically where draft five still isn't working and look through to draft four, and does draft four match up? And if not, can you cut holes down, 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 down? Um, and I think that's where the trust thing got dialed to a 10, uh, wherein suddenly I'm looking through to parts of draft one thinking, my God, this sentence was actually totally beautiful. Um, mm. The placement of it is wrong and the everything around it is wrong, but I could totally use that instead of whatever this new guy wrote. Um, you know, that this has, this has the heart. This has the thing that this started with, which was, you know, you know, a, an impassioned, but naive, writer um and one that wrote without thinking like is this good enough uh, which is funny that that character that that sort of um the but yeah that that writer character in me exists over and over again uh as opposed to like eric thinking about uh himself as a writer at 15 for instance who was writing with absolutely no idea how to or what to. He only knew why to. And even that was questionable. It was just like had to. 
Um, and I look at him and I compare him and I say like, now when I sit down, like I need an assignment, I'm approaching with a certain like treadmill, like, okay, you're going to crank the speed up a little bit now. And then you're going to kind of, then it was just like, you know, somebody threw you on the track while it was running at 10 and you're, you're just running as fast as you can. Um, and part of you wants to kind of like have that inebriation. You want that sort of like, I want to go back to the frenzy of writing that was there at the mm -hmm. first time where it was just like, you sit there with this crumpled paper in your hand afterwards. You're like, oh, my God, what is this? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like just so much more. It's so much steadier. And, you know, it's word counts. It's um, it's for me uh, and sitting down and writing what I'm trying to write before I write it. You know, it's like, OK, today I'm thinking about last night I wrote about shelter. Um, it's like, okay, well, I need to do some thinking about shelter. So I'll, I'll write and think, but this isn't the writing that's being crafted. This is just like the sort of get your thoughts together and get a couple ideas down and then start to write. Um, anyway, uh, delinquent, uh, ideas about novel writing. It um, it makes sense to me that Ugo was ended up being the first novel. Um, you know, I've never read the the detective uh, novel, obviously, but um, it makes sense to me because it's such a buildings Roman. Mm. But then also on top of being a buildings Roman, it, it has this quality because it's so close to you. It has this quality of being a portrait of the artist, mm -hmm. like that. It's it's. It's kind of like a portrait of the artist mixed together with a uh, a fantasy epic, you know. Mm, um, mm, mm, that's mm. kind of how uh, how I imagine it, and I think that so many of us need that first serious, like super serious project to be a portrait of the artist in in some way, shape, or form, um, because it get, yeah it, it wrestles with us getting down uh, getting ourselves down onto paper and into public into you know this public form published form, and um, I think uh, I think that you know I haven't moved on from that completely certainly but I wrote um for my master's degree I wrote the thing that was just kind of harshly focused on uh on somebody's artistic development and intellectual development and now I feel like I'm at least starting to open up to um a book that does not necessarily do that you know um i am still writing from a very close first person uh a young person's perspective and everything and um part of the part of the arc of the story is kind of their personal development and everything but i'm so much more um i like i kind of want to get away from that like that is that that feels like that's me yeah. just needing to be me a little bit but there there's a part of me that's really fighting for fighting for genre and fighting for uh, exterior um, exterior influences to come into the text and just disrupt this person on the page, get them out of their head and uh, get them into the experience of life, really, and to have the book be wrestling with that. Um, and you and I get uh, you you see you see it in so many other artists who after the first book or the first couple of books, they're kind of, they start to, they're limber, you know, they stretch, they start to stretch their limbs a little bit further and go further afield and discover new, uh, new playgrounds. Um, yeah. 
what are those playgrounds? I mean, that 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 I think is uh, a reasonable like thing to assess or try to maybe lay a map down on the ground. Mm. Well, you're uh, when you edit, you're always really good at pointing out, you know, the um, through lines in an author in an author's text. You're always kind of noting them down and and figure try, you know, not always pushing on them, but questioning them and figuring out how to push on them. Um, in in a, in one of my most recent stories, you you noticed that the theme of making pizza appears across like three of my stories that you know about. Um, and <laughs> uh, like this had vaguely occurred to me, but it certainly did not occur to me as like anything that I should really like think about too hard. <laughs> and then your comment came along and was just like, maybe we should push on this a little bit. And I'm just like, I, you know, I just never thought of it as something that needed to be pushed on, but, uh, you know, obviously, it is something there that needs to be, it needs to be doing, acknowledging itself in some way, and it needs to be pushing itself forward. Um, and and there's a small part of me that's just like, I just like pizza, bro. Like, I just, <laughs> I just want to keep them in my stories, you know, but it does, it reminds me of how, you know, I sometimes I bring video games and movies into mm -hmm. my stories. And um, sometimes I'm reading and I'm just like, this doesn't need to be here. Like mm -hmm. the audience does not need to know what movie they're watching. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that that's the kind of like, like question, um, questioning that I do when I'm writing stories, like how much am I just being indulgent? And, mm -hmm. um, like if I'm going to, if I'm going to talk about these things that I need to acknowledge them and, and dig, uh, dig more deeply into them, I think they could be, um, Th those kind of things would be a great basis for mm. a writing activity or a writing prompt, you know, mm. maybe uh, writing down some of those tendencies and finding a purposeful way of digging into them. Um, that could be a future nudge activity. Yeah. Uh, it, it It's funny. The, the, the principle of pushing on what already exists is definitely... Uh, courtesy of Joseph Spies, who uh, is aggressively, uh, aggressively uh, interested in taking what you're already doing and making sure that you are uh, uh, always breaking it up and making new mm -hmm. matter out of it. Uh, and his, the, we, we've been talking a little bit. He just, um, he's working on his third book of poetry. Uh, and uh, he has the most incredible ability to write about animals, um, whether being an animal or being near animals. He just exalts animals in a way that uh, you're – you could live in that world always. Uh, and I'll send you a couple of his poems uh, to have a look at. But he also knows that. Uh, and not knows that he's quite capable of it, but knows that it's it's familiar ground. It's a track he runs a lot, and so refuses himself that track in order to uh, get off of it and to say like, well, what the fuck else is there to write about? Not not that that is like it's a rhetorical question. It's it's not that there couldn't be anything else, but in fact that you know he knows that there's other stuff, but he 
is so habituated and knows the power of writing in that track. And, and, you know, to be fair, like you, when you write about video games or pizza, um, those, that territory is known to you and it, it feels known, not in a bad way. It feels known in a way that says like, this guy can sketch a good pizza and he can sketch a, a good like sit down in front of the video games or a, the the living room with the controller in hand. Um, and that is not to say that one has to erase that, right? Joseph's tendency is to um, uh, eliminate in favor of like finding new things, the refusal. And I think some of what we're talking about regarding the, the first book, uh, the Bill Dung's Roman, is uh, – in some ways, you're kind of oversaturating uh, with the act of the creation of art and the development of art, which is all you know because it's all you've been trying to do. It's not all, but you know, it's the it's the major focus of what you're doing right now. And so you say, okay, well, I'm just going to make the character a writer. I'm just going to make the character an artist. And in doing so, you give yourself full credence to explore every nook and cranny saying like, eat all the chocolate you want. And after you're done, you probably won't want chocolate anymore uh, <laughs> for a little while. Instead of just hinting at this, you know, just like for you, it would be write a story in a pizza shop. Like, write, <laughs> you know, write a story in a pizza shop, write a story in a, in a video store, you know, that it's clerks or it's whatever, or it's, um, or, you know, uh, what did I compare the last one you had? What was the one with the power glove? There was that Nintendo movie uh, where the kid is a e young expert at uh, The Wizard. It was like a 19, late 80s flick or an early 90s flick where he uh, wants to – he and two friends kind of homeward bound style go across the country in an effort to compete in the the Nintendo <laughs> World Series. And uh, there's the oh, kid man. with the power glove and everything. <laughs> And it's just like you're like, dude, this is so – this is for the Mario people. You know, this is an absolute ode to side-scrolling Mario games and and all this. And, and after you're done, you know, maybe it would be uh, – it might release from the clutches. Not This is not, this is not suggestion. This is, I think, probably more for uh, – like as I think about those grounds too is to say like, well, what – what is it that you really want to write about? You know, what is it that you really drive into? And then just like, just like flare it like an inflamed skin and get in there and just like, yeah, until you're so sick of it <laughs> that uh, it's time to move on. Um, because I, I think for myself, I have a, a really strong tendency to when it comes to picking topics, especially for short form stuff. Um to uh, get really excited about something from a daily experience, uh, whether that's I was reading a news article or, you know, you mentioned something or somebody said something or I read something in a book that was just like, wow, that title or I came across like a beautiful fantasy image uh, while I was searching Google for something. It's like, oh, yeah, set in a 150-foot-wide oak tree. You know, like, mm -hmm. what would that be like, you know, for me? A lot of times it's setting or a title, uh, titles in particular. Um, but but for novel writing, that doesn't feel like enough. That doesn't mm -hmm. feel like something of substance. That feels like, like you said, it's great, it's great fodder for exercise. It's great fodder for short-form um, 
whether that's a short story or just sketching or outlining or um, something in between. Um, so that's where when it comes to deciding to write uh, long form, uh, now that I have written Ugo, I'm interested in saying, okay, we've mapped, you know, these local themes or these these um, the places we we go actively with when we just drift into writing when we when we are allowed to write when we're allowing ourselves to write. What are the bigger things? What are the ones that like can sit in the swell of a novel and really like people would say like it's kind of about this but it's also mm -hmm. about this you know like the, but only two of them or only, you know just like the real low ones mm -hmm. like love and i think that uh these these thoughts about what is proper novel material or worthy of a novel i think they only they only take me so far hmm. because uh i feel like uh you know sometimes i'm trying to figure i play this game where i'm trying to figure out like oh is this um should i just write this as a short story or should this become something bigger um and, and I have, and that's the question that I ask myself: is like, does, is this worth a novel? Like, is this novel material? Which I don't think that it's a. It feels like a natural question. It's um, it's not a stupid question. But in the in the end, the experience of writing the novel is an exploration of what is worth writing about. Like you, you write about the thing, you go through the practice of putting those words on the page every single day. And more often than not, that process is going to be the discovery of the thing of value. Um, so I can't think of a better metaphor, but like if you think of it as an exploration, um, you have an idea in your head of what your action of what you want to find or what you think you're going to find, then you're never ever ever gonna know until um, you embark on the journey and discover the actual thing that's in the forest, you know, or you know, at the end of the mountain range, and. Um, and obviously, before an exploration, it's worth thinking about the hardships that might be presented. But uh, and speaking as someone who has taken a literally a, a very long hike in the woods, um, there's only so far that that preparation can can take you. You know, that's my first that's my first bit of advice to anybody hiking the Appalachian Trail is like. Think about it a little bit, but don't stress too much because everything's going to go out the window in the first 48 hours. Like literally everything <laughs> will change. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of how I'm thinking about novel writing. Uh, I think about it, uh, you know, I put thought into what I'm going to write and how things are going to be um, to be put together. But the most essential and interesting thoughts are ones I have when I'm literally putting words on the page and I need to make two puzzle pieces fit together in the story. And, uh, I need to, um, that necessity sparks some thought, you know, I don't have mm. to try I don't have to try to have the, the truly inspiring thoughts because they're the ones that come out of necessity. Mm. 
think I think that goes away from what you were thinking about love for a second, but that's that's what I was thinking about while you were. Yeah, I'm, I can you kind of go back over this necessity, like the that that seems to be the heart of, um, maybe the heart of writing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah, you, yeah. What you, you what you mean is like there are two two separate objects in your head and and there you need to build a bridge that's that's one way of putting it it's um on a big scale it might be like you want to write about uh this one character in this one place for whatever reason you've gotten on this idea that you need to put this character in this place together and then when you literally go to the page to put those together you discover disruptions you know um so, uh, say the 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 parts just don't evenly align, and so it becomes a very practical matter of like you need to figure out some way of convincing the reader that these two things exist in the same place. Mm. And um, there's one side of the spectrum which is uh, like finding very reasonable um, and practical ways of changing each of those two things to fit one another, and then. Um, like there's the other side of the spectrum where uh, writers are writers want their audience to take a greater leap of faith into the world of fiction, mm. and they they might just lay those two things together and be like, you have to deal with it. Mm. Um, which uh, uh, you can only do that in a very strategic and careful way. Uh, you know, you can't make too many of those those kinds of decisions, um, and. So I'm trying. I'm trying to think of another example, maybe from um, what I'm working on right now. Um, and I think that uh, just gen just saying generally that when you write a novel, you're constantly putting in things that you want to write about, that you want to see on the page, that you are passionate about, whether it's the name of a character or uh, a particular setting that you really want portrayed. And it's almost like the entire, uh, the entire act of writing a novel is just constantly realizing ways in which, um, the ways in which those things do not exactly line up what's current with what is currently on the page mm. and why they might need to and you figuring out how they might need to change um for example today i had a character who literally for years was uh, had a particular name like this character's name was this mm. and then today i was reading the manuscript uh, what i have of my manuscript and i was just like this name just doesn't fit like this, I don't know, uh, um, maybe this character doesn't even need a name. Mm -hmm. And so I had this brainstorming session. And so, it, um, and I, the original name I had never chosen for any one particular reason. So that's one thing that happens is that you realize the things that you kind of made uh, a gut decision about. That, um, mm -hmm. You didn't, have, there was no actual reasoning behind it. It was just you just trying to be as trying to be as you as you possibly could and uh, put your mind onto the page. Mm. Um, normally for me, this is all very therapeutic, like realizing the ways in which my imagination is just all uh, nooks and crannies and sharp edges and <laughs> smoothing it down into 
something a little bit more more coherent and a little bit more beautiful and and having those moments of realization of like oh this works a lot better than i was than the thing i was thinking of you know Mm -hmm. um like i was wrong i found a better way Mm. you know Mm. uh i started to drift towards um this D and D campaign that I just wrote and, uh, you know, I, I feel like the D and D campaign is a, uh, like an out of mind experience of being, of what writing is, uh, you deliver or I deliver to start a, a totally self-created concept. Um, I'll start, I'll write um, uh, something about a, a, a setting. What is the world? What are your, what are the options for you as a character? Um, and then once I've handed that to writers or writers, yeah, let's call them writers, but players, um, I will ask them for a, a way of introducing themselves to the world, whether that's uh describe yourself or usually I like to have some sort of plot uh, that that they feel like they could uh, latch onto and that I could latch onto. Uh, the action of that plot generates something in me. So in this case, mm-hmm. I said, uh, now that you know that you live on this uh, like Hawaii-sized island on a planet made entirely of sea and that you have these races to choose from and here's the general politics and here's the um the the ground and the the plant matter and the weather and and the general religion issues and uh social circumstances uh who are what's your name how old are you relative to how long your people live and what is the last memory you have before you were thrown in prison um Mm. and uh the, the things that I got back were uh, a, a woman, a ship, ship captain who uh, was on patrol, who uh, remembers being boarded. Uh, I have a kind of asexual creature that was making a scientific discovery about a lichen of some kind that could perhaps change the metaphysics of the world. Um, two doctors who had been approached on the road, um, a young man doing nothing who was on a raft and who had seen something shiny in the sea and dove in, and uh, a sentient plant that could, uh, that was working on cultivating its human-eating carnivorous plants. Um, and these characters... That's the memories that I received. So I had those five nodes or six nodes. And then I just sat there. I wrote like the character name and the little node, character name, little node on a piece of paper. And I was like, okay, now you need to figure out how all these things connect. Um, and it was a process of like, you got to write around it. You got to, you're, you're like, okay, well, they're all in prison. Well, what would the story be if they weren't in prison or what if, if the characters weren't there? Like if it was just me writing this, what would continue to happen regardless of the fact that these people exist in this small space? Because I have to forget that the game is going to happen. Uh, I have to forget in and and then I can create like 
actual other characters that they would engage with. Um, and then they can be a circumstance, a happenstance. And when they start to cause chaos, that's all part of the game. But as far as the preparation and the story building, um, it was amazing to watch myself build this thing as it's like th those th those six nodes seemed as disparate to me as they did to you when I said them. It's like they are they are from different points, very different points. Um, by the end, however, they actually all connect. Like they all build into this thing that that like, okay, they're not directly linked, but they can be directly linked. And through that process, out came this uh, landscape wherein uh, the 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 prison that they were stuck in was actually uh, like the belly of a castle, the the the, the city's castle, um, and their reasons for imprisonment uh, were myriad, but most of them uh, had been within sight of uh, the fact that the the people of the castle, the the uh, the skeleton crew remaining had these kind of creatures that they called delvers uh, who they were using to um, move along the castle's edges because the castle is against the sea and root for this. They, they can eat stone kind of. They're almost like a sort of a sucker fish. Um, they, they root along in between the stone and the castle walls um, and they're looking for this substance, this sort of um, – they're hungry for this kind of glittering substance, which the character, the, the, the scientist character with the lichen, the metaphysic lichen, um, that stuff when dry looks like lichen. So that's the best that that character can qualify it as. But it's actually this sort of like stardust of a sort that has – that is being attracted to – the engine that is at the base of the castle because the castle itself is the original ship that landed that populated this island thing. Um, the island was initially like a cluster of, of basically cosmic debris as this ship had fled from a terrible apocalypse um, and eventually like created – like slowed down enough with all the stuff it was dragging uh, that it created a sort of living space. But this stuff, this dust, um, is uh, – they're trying to free the ship because they believe that it's time to leave because that apocalyptic kind of presence is certainly now faded after thousands of years. Um, and uh, the characters um, are kind of in prison and watching these creatures just go and knock mm. away the stone. Now, no one in the – no one in the in the city that surrounds this place are aware of the fact that the keep is itself the ship, and so all that becomes the discovery on the character's part. Um, mm -hmm. The plant man has a way of figuring into this. Uh, the the shiny object that the character was diving for is this sort of like um, the the delvers, these little creatures when they're collecting the dust. Um, begin to almost like it becomes a a growing matter. It grows as hair. It's not hair, but it's, it's like this fine, brittle, like strands that almost looks like long, silver, uh, thin hairs that are almost glass-like um, that the people within the castle then take these little delvers back into the keep and they sh shear that 
and use it use the stuff to put into batteries. Um, they they take those brittle hairs, put them into batteries, and the batteries are then used to power the ship, the ship's various elements. So they've been collecting this stardust to repower the ship's various technological implements that didn't exist for a long time. The patrol boat had come around, uh, had come around the keep, um, and seen the guy dive down. And then when the guards had come around to take the guy who was down there, wrong place, wrong time. The lichen collector was on the rocks, like because that stuff collects at this like super high density rare earth engine that's in the keep. That's what draws it all in. Uh, the lichen, the dry lichen, was kind of there in a more or less not allowed area for the creatures for people to come by. And that person, being somewhat roguelike in nature, had been trying to do their experiments near the keep and were then taken by guards as well. Um, so. All this to say, <laughs> uh, like having having the little like, as you're saying, as you were talking about having a character name and a and a place that you're trying to get to, having you know setting these little studs yeah. um, and saying like, okay, let's connect, you know, a purple goo and a, a gray tower and like the biggest rain anybody's seen in years, and then go. Um, like that yeah energizing yeah no i that that's incredible that's a great story i love it um i love the way in which it's very eric in that it like combines kind of medieval like like the castle vibe but then there's also this extremely like high-tech machine underneath the island, you know, uh, layered with uh, the apocalypse and all these different things. That's really, really lovely. And that, I think that there is, you could not have given me a better pitch as to why D D is an interesting activity than what you just said. Like you could, you could say anything else and it would be lost on me. I've never been able to like see the appeal, but it like feeling like I was engaging in that, in that story-making process, or maybe just the discovery of that process um, with a DM, I think would be really magical. You know, that sounds wild. Um, Cause if you rewind all that, Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, well, uh, that's uh, it's interesting to think about how the, it, it's like a concentrated form of what we're doing when we're making these big stories and novels in particular. I, I don't feel like I do it as much in short stories because you kind of like you have this one idea that you're really trying to spearhead. Um, but that's always what I'm doing when I'm when I'm like drafting or or outlining a novel is like I have this idea why don't I why don't I combine it with this idea that I had when I was like 12 years old that I couldn't get you know get out of my head and um it, that's that's certainly one reason why you get better at it as you get older is you just have this trove of mm -hmm. things that you've been building up and saving and you get better at stringing them together in a in a believable way yeah yeah that's one of the places where i came to with steed that uh was not troubling but was one of my discoveries through it is exactly what you're saying about short stories is um i was like i i have this idea that i need to connect two different things 
And the problem is, is I find one thing plenty interesting enough. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't want to try to do Gene Wolfe's fuse like, uh, you know, the issues of Vietnam with uh, recent developments in biotech. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I, I, by nature, I feel like there's so much to explore in a, in a single thing. And then as soon as you start to write it, I think that trove that you're talking about starts to spring up. Uh, you can't help but fill in the details um, of, uh, like, for instance, the barn writing, right, for this circumstance. I couldn't help but draw on, like, things that I've seen, things that I've been a part of, and um, those are not so disparate as to feel like I'm going to combine Purple Goo and Grey Tower um, they feel, and I don't start with those in mind, but over time, kind of more like the ship as it draws this, this dust to it with its gravity, like I'm writing about a farm or I'm writing about a barn. So these little elements of barn life or of, of wildlife or of, you know, different outside things start to get attracted to it from my own mind. Um, it's a little more with D and D it's a little more forced, um, in that you have characters who've created these options for you or these things that you have to um, you have to contend with if you're going to be good if you're going to be careful if you're going to be if you're going to include everyone um, then you have to figure out why the lichen guy matters to a story about a castle um, and and in some ways I think that that forcefulness is a good exercise and it's one of the things that we do um as exercise and the exercise becomes a story, right? I mean, it, it's, it, it's all writing. It's all part of our, the body of our work. Um, when we open up to a new novel or we, we have the idea of it, it's, I don't know. It's seldomly as playful, um, as, as like, well, what if I did this and this and this and this, if I just put these, like, if I if I took my deck of cards, that is all the things that I've ever thought of, I, I pull four random cards, I put them at opposite corners of the map, and I say, okay, figure out when you combine these things, what what they what what shape does it make? Like, there's something in writing a novel that has made that um, not allowed, um, and has made that uh, seem uh, like oh, how could you craft something of substance out of that? You know, don't you have more important things to write about? And I'm troubled by that. Like, I think I'm, uh, even, as I, even as I recognize that fact, um, what we were talking about earlier, where the first novel feels like you're like, oh my God, I just need to, I just need to explain how I got here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, forgive me for being so self-indulgent, but, and, and that's where the, front thing for Ugo came, what do they call those things? The dedication uh, was mm -hmm. for myself at 12, if you're here again. Mm -hmm. um, and that, like, that wasn't meant necessarily as like, I wrote this book for me. Um, but for if, if I had found this book when I was 12. Um, and, uh, but it was in part saying this book is for me. Like this, if nothing else, I need to write this book for me because after that I can write for everybody else. I can, I can write 
you know, a book for my brother. I can write a book for my best friends. I can write a book for my mom. I can write a book for Alyssa. Um, and those books will be, um, you know, will be inspired by those people and what they mean to me and, and what, not necessarily what they would like to read, though ideally that, that, that helps me to frame what a novel would, would or could be is to write it more as a letter than as a, uh, like, I don't have a story that I feel I need to share with an anonymous audience. I have people in my life who I'd love to talk to through a book. Um, and not, not to hopefully expose something in particular, but more just to say, like, I'm thinking about you now and all, and the way that your relationship with me has made me what I am. Um, that's, that to me is an ideal for, uh, the novel, but I'm also like really moved by, by the seeming like irregularities that a book of random of random topics and i i don't mean like just keep making random things up but that like you've selected several strange stars to connect um i think that can be a really um in the binding of those things uh we can realize our capabilities and we we and and still talk about um all the things that we wanted to talk about by having to do something that seemed at first arbitrary. I, I, I do think that the binding is the real meat of it. It's the value. It's the thing that people are going to remember. Um, you know, uh, you know, we've talked, we've talked, we've kind of referred to in previous uh, conversations about how, something like a dragon is uh, might be considered something an adult writer might not want to like chase after, you know, it's too, it's too childish or whatever. Um, but if that's one of your stars, like let it be your star and you, you can, um, the real brilliance will be how you bind that to something else, you know, um, there's been great literature about everything. And if those stars are what it takes to get you to the page and to get you writing and to get uh, and to get the juices flowing, then just do it. And nobody's going to care what those are. They're going to be they're going to care about how you, you know, bring things together. Um, you know, sometimes you hear the synopsis of a film and you and it sounds like bonkers, you know, it sounds crazy. And you're like, I don't know how that's going to go, but I guess I like, I just have to see it in order to see how it, it's put on screen and see how this person does it because that's, that's what's important. Um, and going back to something about uh, something I said earlier about, um, you know, working things out through writing, uh, you're probably in the process of, of binding those stars together. You're going to figure out why they were something about why they were important to you in the first place. Or maybe you're going to discover like, oh, maybe I, uh, maybe I was less interested in this thing all along and a little bit more interested in this other thing. Maybe I, it was a misplaced interest or maybe like, um, you discover like, oh, I was interested in that thing because it was a part of this other thing in my childhood. Like it kind of, you know, and the interest kind of got, uh, got all put on, uh, one image or, or one, one concept. Um, and so 
I think that as you get older as a writer, it's almost like a part of your journey is settling with the things that you really do want to write about and proving mm. and telling your telling yourself like it's okay to write about them. Mm. Um, you just need to do the work of of binding it all together into this into this thing that can be given to another person and, and read. Mm. Mm. The uh, I'm war uh, is one of the major topics for sins, and uh, it's you know the, the with regards to. Ugo and Sens both, um, that's easily encapsulated in the, the gods of Greek mythology in that they each have their sort of dominant, um, what, what would you call them? Like Themes or... Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess it really is just a theme, like a, a major theme of humanity yeah, is war. Uh, that's a weird thing to say, but... Yeah. It's not one of their hobbies. <laughs> Action, activity, uh, you know, yeah. uh, the god of, you know, the, the god of love, the god of smithing, the god of uh, travel. They might, it might be like more similar to realms or... Yeah. Um, spheres almost. spheres yeah yeah mm -hmm. uh, i like that a lot which is such a you know like taken objectively uh the spheres of humanity is such a strange <laughs> um strange idea but it, it it is the word that we use uh, for good reason it's like a um one of the one of the bands that wraps around us um and i think that's when i when i asked earlier for me about uh you know uh I wouldn't say Ugo is about art. I would say Ugo is about self and death, probably death and self, um, mostly death um, and uh, death and life. And then um, now it's like, okay, I can break into some of the smaller, the smaller spheres, the spheres that encapsulate um, uh, other things. I have not written the love story. Uh, I have not written the war story. That's what I'm working on and what I'm thinking about and reading about and trying to understand because, look, I didn't go to war. I don't know. I know war. I guess I do. You know, I I I know war like any human knows war. Uh, some people know a different side of it, um, but I know what it is and I know uh, – uh, which is not to say, again, I have not been in a battle, which is a different thing. Um but uh, what it, what it means to me, um, and and I want to you know as you're talking about this idea of as we get older we sort of settle on the topics that we want to talk about, and as we are uh, kind of forced to contend with this writerly social obligation to write what you know, um, is to take a theme like war and admit that like. I have my own approach to it, and I and I'm allowed to approach it. Um, I can't approach it from the perspective or the the way of somebody else who knows war, um, but I can uh, I can write what I know of it, which for me was like, for instance, uh, D 
the Iraq war was going off in high school and uh, my high school had a protest um, as soon as it started where these people dressed in like 25 foot plaster of Paris outfits were out on our front lawn, uh, dressed up and wandering around and like enacting a strange play that I could not like engage with or understand, but somehow the act of leaving school and not participating in classes meant something to me at the time. And it meant something to the other kids who we all walked out of our classes. Even though like, for, you know, we may have, we were doing it for reasons we didn't entirely grasp, um, but we still did it. Um, and and also, you know, there were moments where uh, laying on, in Central America with uh, my friend Ira, who I was traveling with, he was talking about like uh, the social obligations we have as Americans based on the things that we've been given to join the military. And then telling my mom, like, I'm going to join the military. Like, I'm going to be a part of this because I've had blah, blah, blah. And because Ira said it was right. And here's, you know, is war just people following people? You know, is it just somebody feeling strongly about something and a strong feeling drawing gravity, you know, and, and drawing other people to do what somebody said we should do because we have to do something in the time that we have and we want to feel important or we want to, or we're guilted into something or whatever, you know, like these, these elements of that bigger theme are the things that will be in sense, right? These are the things that have started to sort of creep in just like that dust. Um, mm -hmm. Now, you know, as with Ugo, when I wrote all many of the scenes in Ugo, they were they were replicas of things that had happened that related to the theme of life and death. Not that I, I didn't start it the same way, right? I didn't understand this when I started Ugo. Ugo was like, just start, you know, just draw a guy and make him go and, you know, like go from here to there. That's it. That was how I started it. Um, and and in the case of that, you know, my buddy and I, Matt, went on a hike. You know, we went on a hike that we should not have been on. It was three day or two days long. Um, it was 28 miles and uh, we were not prepared for what came. And uh, like halfway through it, I rolled my ankle super bad. And, and we were like 15 miles. We're like in between both. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, sudden mortality, you know, all, mm -hmm. all the washings of that strange, dangerous circumstance came in. And that became like a scene in Ugo that over time, like became less and less important. Like there were, there were only like eight stud scenes in the very beginning, right? It was just like, this happened, this happened, this happened, that happened. Um, and they didn't connect and they didn't make sense. And it felt just like, are you just writing a diary with a guy whose name is different than yours? Um, but over time, you know, over the, the layering of those five drafts, they start to disappear. They become elements, but the world starts to kind of take them in and make them its own. Um, yeah. Uh, let me, unless you have a response that you'd like to, uh, I had a question for you earlier um, uh, because I've gone on longly, that the discovery of the thing of value you were talking about um, in the writing uh, that you can set out, whether it's like setting out to aim for something or just setting out to write um, and that the process of writing delivers in some way that thing of value or there's like a sort of uncovering of sorts. 
um, as you get to it and go, yeah, there it is. Like you freed it from the mud. Um, uh, when you go, when, now that you're doing this new word count approach, um, wherein, as we were saying, like there is a value in the completion of the word count. Um, how do you find uh, the thing of value still? Uh, do you still find the thing of value? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's that it does change things, doesn't it? Because sometimes um, the the value that you take away from a single session of writing is what you said before is just the victory of having finished the word count and sometimes that sometimes that is the value that you found that day um and i think that maybe i haven't been maybe i haven't been writing uh this actually sitting down and writing this manuscript so long that um I have too much that I have too much of an answer to that uh, because I think that a lot of the discovery that I've made so far has been in the planning of this novel and the outlining of it and fitting together ideas that are not actually in the manuscript um, right now. So there, there are these things that exist mostly in my head, like fitting two characters together or discovering that a character doesn't need to be there. Um, like I said today, uh, I don't think that I would have, like I said about today with the, uh, with the name change, um, there's a bit of discovery there because I could have, I could have planned. I feel like I could have planned this book to eternity and it's only until I wrote this scene where the name comes to fruition that I had the realization of like, oh, this doesn't fit, you know, like the, uh, this name isn't, it's not what I want in this moment when, when the name first comes out. Uh, it's different from how I'm picturing the final book. And so it needs to be changed. Um, and I think that I've had a handful of moments, uh, a handful of moments, even with, uh, even with this new word count, I, you know, I have, uh, my thoughts are not completely taken up by, uh, not completely preoccupied by just like, oh, I need to get the words on the page. Like, I, I do have moments of, of thought and reconsideration as I'm putting these things together. Um, maybe slightly less than I would have normally because I'm compressing it into, you know, like I need these words, like I have an hour to get these words down and I need to do it. Hmm. Um, but I, I, so far, I think that I've um, been largely comfortable with how occasionally thoughts of the story creep back up into my mind as I go along in the day. Um, sometimes I think about what I have to write in the morning and I'm like, oh, geez, where am I going with this scene? And I, and that, is the spur that I need to put two and two together. Mm. Um, but I, I do think that, uh, kind of to your point, I think that there needs to be a moment of rest in between the, the jotting down of words. There needs to be a moment where uh, you reconsider things and you consider how things are going and how they're moving forward, um, or else you feel like you're just... Uh, holding your breath, typing as many words as, mm. as possible. Mm. Um, 
and so the the value does skew it does change because um you know if your word count is high enough and you're doing it every single day uh really it's really the value is is just can i get these words on the page in a coherent way mm. um and ho hopefully what i'm uh, what i'm hoping that as a novel writer as i go along i will get better at considering the book as it stands in the middle of writing yeah like I'll, I'll get better at being like oh this is going in this direction i want to lean into that you yeah. know R rather than um being stubborn and just being like oh no this is the way that i wanted to go from the beginning so i'm going to keep on forcing this and, and keep on writing the the same story that i was envisioning so um Mm. Yeah, tactics of being attentive and being and uh, being mindful of what is going on. Um, you can't try too hard. That you know, those things come with time. I yeah. think um, it, maybe maybe there's something to be said for a daily practice of rereading everything that you wrote in that day, or you know, over the last couple of days or something like that. Um, I I haven't. Exactly. I haven't exactly been doing that because it usually ends up with me getting distracted and yeah. editing too much. Yeah. So, um, I think I I think it I would be better served if I had an ability, which I'm trying to cultivate, an ability to read what I've written and not touch it too much. Mm you know going back to what you were saying about that that fervent mo moment of innocence when you put the thing on the page um you want to respect that a little bit you want to see like okay what was the inspiration for this what makes what was making this good in yeah. the moment yeah and um and how am i going to to take that and, and utilize it and not not bury it not rip it apart into the to the point where it's unrecognizable to anybody else yeah hmm. a couple of things spring up um but uh one that i don't think i've done before uh in in my own head which is to compare writing to dancing um mm -hmm. the thought that when you were saying of 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 being able to kind of like as writer extend with a certain amount of poise with the interest of sending yourself in that direction made me think of like an arm going out and like when to draw it back and whip it across. Mm. And it's like, man, I, I don't know that I, I don't think I've ever set out to dance a specific dance. Um, and I yeah. think that writing gets put in a position where y you expect yourself to know what you're going to write. Um, mm. And if I were to approach writing, I, like I do that to myself. So if I were to approach writing from the perspective of dancing, um, would I hold myself to the same like planning expectations of saying like you're going to execute the following six dance moves before getting out there? Or are you just going to go out there and do what like always feels so natural and so unexpected? Um, but I guess it matters more like – in in regards to dancing to continue the metaphor slightly is like to what song you're dancing to like you will dance differently to different songs um, and understanding what song you're choosing to play to dance to or that you're listening to to dance to um, and sometimes that's a literal thing like in the case of a, a word count I would call that a specific type of song right 
Um, mm. like it's yeah. it's a it's a pacing song. It's a it's got a beat. Um, uh, versus like choosing a theme is uh you know like setting a, a different type of music. Um, and uh, setting a couple of ideas that you want to try and write to is a totally different thing as well. Um, uh, yeah, uh, it, it frees me up a little bit to think that way, um, and I have I haven't done that before. I think we're all you know when when we're writing books, we're all just like trying to figure out. Uh, to to use the dance metaphor, like are are we going to go out there without a thought in our head, yeah, and just flail around, or uh, are we gonna do the opposite side of the spectrum? Would be like to do a dance routine, you know, to do a strictly choreographed dance routine, yeah. and obviously you can't, uh, you know, copyright prevents us from literally just copying somebody else's book, but um, there is once you have an, a, a great greater knowledge of literature once you've been an adult for a few years you you do realize that you could get into you could settle into the rhythm of a detective novel you could settle into yeah. the rhythm of kind of a victorian romance or whatever it might be and that is a kind of song uh an ebb and flow it, it's a rhythm to go by um and i think we're all choosing to various degrees where we want our writing to fall based on like how much structure do i need and how much mm. freedom do i need mm. um and when i was 21 years old writing trying to write a book it was like absolute freedom was like my priority all i wanted in life was the feeling of just spewing things onto the page in that fervent like moment of expression mm. um and i wanted to write a story that allowed for that to happen and allowed for me to put that on the page and not have to tame it mm. afterwards and mm. not have to like fit it into something uh, i didn't want to go at it and be like oh this needs you know like a story arc for this character because i introduced them you know like god i wanted to barf if somebody told me that you know because what i thought was important was that energy you know yeah. um and that's and that's a part of the 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 novel as portrait of of an artist you know is just um, an excuse or a way for you to get those those moments of writing onto the page and uh, to to give them a structure and a form. Mm. Um, but it quickly, like after you write that book, um, you do get bored with it. You you do I need some I need some structure here, man. Like mm. what is going on I, and that's why that's why i put aside my thesis project and uh like i i edited the shit out of it but i can't rewrite that book mm -hmm. like if i was to rewrite it i'd have to change it entirely like mm -hmm. i i would have to um uh, I, and i actually did once try to rewrite it and it was an entirely different book it had the same characters mm -hmm. but it was an entirely entirely different book mm -hmm. and um that that feeling is what is one that has comforted me in that um in knowing that certain in certain times of your life you just need to uh there's a certain book that you're going to need to write and eventually you just won't want to write that book anymore mm. um and 
that's one reason why we don't all just sit around rewriting the same book. Mm. You know, we need to we need to leave some things behind. Mm. I'm itching to uh, read a little um, bit. To read, uh, to read what? The Barnes. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, do you want to do that? For sure. Um, sounds good. And they're uh, thankfully we're been keeping them short, which yeah is nice for when we have a long conversation. Um, I'm I'm ready to go with uh, that story that I mentioned for um a future meeting. Yes. Yeah. Maybe so next I'm, meet. I'm, no, next group. Next I'm section. excited about that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll I'll send that out, and I'm I'm eager to hear what you guys have to say about that. So that'll be next week. Would you mind doing the honors first? I would. Or yeah. Uh, yeah. Which yeah. are we going to read each other's pieces? Is that? Um, I think so. I, I think it, yeah. it's a. It's always nice to hear, and um, yeah. Uh, okay, so. So last time you had, uh, did you have a disclaimer of some kind? No. What's that? Do you have a disclaimer? It sounded like you were going to disclaim something. No, no, I'm all good. Okay. Um, all right. So this has become, instead of the barn, a death in the family. I both did and did not like visiting their house when I was young. It felt like temporarily entering a different kind of reality, one in which parents had reserves of time and money and energy to spend on the visual aspects of the home, which for my younger self must have been the only kind of work worth doing on one's family. That was enchanting just until it was exhausting. Whenever it was Jack's turn to come over to my house, I would tell my mother that we really had to do a better job of cleaning this place. Because what would he think, being used to such, what was it, leisure? Or merely the sense that the adults around you were putting in the effort? I don't remember any of this until after Jack's already gone and finally I started to come over for lawn parties, where they drink beers around the fire pit that they built right into the patio. I don't remember the patio, neatly laid with some kind of treated rose-colored stone from the house all the way over the barn, over to the barn. I spent the winter placing new linoleum in my bathroom, so just looking at all those stones makes me feel like shit. But there's always the barn, which has always been different from the other barns and sheds because it's a proper height and stands up straight, like you might actually do something functional inside of it. They had a line dug, I finally remembered, from the house and across the yard so that they could run a power line and there would be lights in the barn. It was the kind of place that fathers told their kids not to go when they had friends over. Now there's the ritual of heading over to the barn later on in the night when we're looking for something to do. There's the fridge right next to the door where you come in, filled with beer and blocks of cheese and clear bags of bulbous grapes. The freezer in the far corner, filled with meat from the farm upstate where they always stop on their way home from vacation. 
Extension cords secured with black tape ran across the floor to their respective appliances. There's heat in winter, fans in summer, and it still gets stuffy with a dozen people in there drinking and playing darts. I always say they need to find a couch or something, but everyone else seems to consign to the belief that this is a place for standing. When you look, you finally notice everything that has been meticulously arranged on the walls. It's the kind of stuff that isn't put there to be noticed in particular or for itself. Posters, flags, and calendars meant to represent nothing more than posters, flags, and calendars. But it's also not the kind of stuff that accumulates by accident. The Harley calendar that's been flipped indefinitely to the month of August, with its August girl mounted atop its August bike. The American flag hanging limply over the freezer. A metal advertisement for Budweiser. It's impressive in that simple kind of way. We keep coming over because they keep inviting us. They keep on lighting fires and setting out bowls of chips with three different kinds of dip and buying shiny cases of cheap beer. Eventually, I started bringing six packs of fancy local stuff for everyone to try, and Emmy would take a nice bottle of wine or a tray of some dessert if she had time to bake, because we assumed that at some point our presence alone wouldn't be enough. But eventually we stopped. We ran out of energy, and again we were showing up empty-handed, and no one cared. There was always enough food and enough to drink. When we inevitably return, we always expect something to have changed, for the house to be darker and more mournful, perhaps, or for something to have been forgotten. We're standing next to the space heater, sipping fizzy drinks and waiting for the next turn at darts. It's necessary for a barn to be maintained, you come away thinking. I think about telling this to Emmy on the ride home. I could say something about Jack, but it appears to really be that simple, that his father always put in the effort. Cool. Yeah, I had that moment a few times while you were reading where I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's what I wrote, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, Think, I don't know, you think you write something and then you hear it in context and human voice and with human tones. And it's kind of like you've uh, kind of like you've put you, you've flipped a card on the table that you maybe weren't meaning to flip, you know, and you're like, oh, shit, that, <laughs> that has some effects there that I didn't read carefully enough, you know, Um had that particularly at the end i think that i think that uh i think that the end packs more of a punch than i wanted it to and that an ending can handle i don't know that was just my feeling um i, I don't know I, I i hesitate to condemn it of course in any way um i will say that uh the interesting element of critique that seemed to draw out um, in uh, in what you've added is 
that um, it became a reflection not just on Jack and his parents. Uh, mm. It became a reflection on parents. And um, this, for the first paragraph, um, whenever it was Jack's turn to come over to my house, I would tell my mother that we really had to do a better job cleaning this place. Because what would he think? Being used to such, what was it, leisure? Or merely the sudden, the sense that the adults around you were putting in the effort and that Jack's parents, despite him being gone, just put in the effort, right? They, they dug the power line. They always keep the fridge stocked. They um, blah, blah, blah. There is something of a – and this came up in your other story with the girl, uh, the video game girl. Um, mm. it, it became a comparison of two houses. What happens right. when we go over for dinner? Uh, what happens what, – what's it like at the McCormick's? Well, it's not like home, that's for sure. Um, and, uh, and then it became – you know, those are, those are very uh, – you know, telling stories, those often, those often, uh, like you say, flip the card up on the table and say like, hey, <laughs> guess what I'm thinking about? <laughs> right, right. Um, uh, but I mean, this piece still retains so much. It's, and it's, uh, I don't think that that, uh, I don't think that the addition of that um, is a bad thing. I think it does cry for more um, uh, because in the position, in that position, um, the, the, the reader's eye shifts from story of house one and story of house two to the story of the character passing between those houses. Um, because look at my favorite classic example of this, this trope, a goofy movie. Uh, wherein Max goes with Goofy to hang out with Pete and his dad in the woods and his dad wants to camp and Pete and his dad are in the fucking RV with the TV and the flop out, plop out and everything is just mm. like home in Miami except not. Um, mm. And Max wants that, you know. He wants, he wants the, uh, the power line moment. He wants the, he wants the, uh, the glitz and the glam and Goofy's just Goofy. Um, and just loves to yuck and and go to the camp out and whatever and and it becomes max changing you know to like realize that what he has is um, is entirely enough now you don't necessarily want to follow that line all the way down and recreate a goofy movie um, mm. uh, because what could be better than that movie but um, <laughs> um you know that that's what this creates. That's what those two, the two paragraphs at front and the final paragraph add to this. Um, and and what what it does in gain, or maybe compression, if we're talking audio, for the rest of it is you kind of. It really drops the focus off of the boy who's gone. Uh, you know the mm -hmm. it 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 really changes it to like man we are. This is a community conversation now. This is what's it like in the neighbor? You know, Emmy draws up. You know, her she's got more more voice, um, and and shows up more often. Um, the for some reason the the patio 
seems to really have like a, a strong spike of like, wow, I paid a lot of attention to those. I think maybe it's ro treated rose colored stone that gives it that like, oh, wow, like the only other thing that gets that kind of treatment is maybe limp American flag, which is only half of that. And then the bulbous grapes. Um, like the, the piece in general tends to stay away from really accenting anything. And so the patio whoop comes into pretty stiff focus, um, uh, which makes me think if it's going to draw that kind of focus, it'd be interesting to see it, um, like him be the first one to spill on the new patio or something. Um, uh, just a sort of like recurrent follow-up to make sure that it's, um, uh, we do something with it, or I would maybe just shave the top of it so that it kind of sinks back into the background, um, mm. unless it's important. Um, mm. uh, but I, I know that one of the things that you talked about last time, and I'll, I'll run this as a question, do you feel like um, you accomplished what you hope to do in terms of erasing that Murakami intro um, having a line from elsewhere? Hmm. Uh, I think I did. Uh, I did do that. I don't know if I replaced it with anything better. Uh, like I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not particularly. I'm sat. I'm satisfied for a working draft, which with w what is there. Um, but I did have to. I rewrote this first paragraph a couple of times. You know, like uh, there are several versions that didn't even. You know meet uh that didn't even meet with the the full draft um so it, it was a little bit harder because basically i was in that situation of i i kind of like the rest of the story and i want to work with the rest of the story but i want to rewrite the first paragraph which is always a dicey place to be because yeah. it's that it's kind of like should you even have a first paragraph then? Should you just like cut that out entirely? Do you really need uh, to be like clearing your throat here? Um, and uh, which I think is still a valid question. But basically where I'm at right now with this piece is um, I think that I'm pretty satisfied with the pieces I've discovered that I'm actually interested in mm. and the pieces that I'm not so interested in. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm in, in a future draft, I'm interested in kind of pushing the barn even further back. Mm. Um, I think that, uh, I think that I want to make the barn just another piece of the house. Mm. I want, um, as, as you said, with the rose colored stone, like I'm interested in focusing in on these pieces of the house that, uh, these parents have made. And, uh, you know, I, I like the idea of him interacting with the patio even further. Mm. Um, and, uh, so I'm, I'm more comfortable kind of pushing Jake and his, and his actual story with his father further to the side and just, Keeping them as background, um, I wanted to do due diligence to our original prompt by investigating them. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I've just come down with it that this story isn't exactly um, what I'm interested in. This story is not is not those things. Is mm. is not uh, the father and the son story. They're kind of they're there, but they're not the center. Um, and so I think that I'm going to go back 
into this with uh, think, thinking about parents, thinking about work that is done on our houses and how mm. uh, one person's work is different from another person's work mm. and how those, uh, how those th- thoughts come out in a mundane evening like this where somebody's going over for a few beers. Mm. Um, and I, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that leads me uh, that leads me to a, a satisfying end that doesn't require me writing more pages or or uh, mm. or going past the mundane uh, evening. Mm. You know? um, it w- it might be who you to think about um, if you what sort of work that uh, the main character does on their house. Um, Because I think that a person who notices work on a house tends to be someone who has either done work on their own house or someone who has paid for work to be done to their house. Um, And it might help, you know, ramp um, away from that, like, parent-to-parent comparison um, that if the, if the weight of that holds something that to your disliking there at the end, um, uh, helping your parents, you know, clean the backyard and rake everything, that's six hours of just like being frustrated by the fact that they don't take care of their lawn um, of like, God, you this place could be so much nicer if you just spent the time and then the satisfaction of like job well done, I got the bags up, and then I go over to my buddies to have some drinks, and my buddy's dead, but his parents, like, their place is immaculate. Who knows if they pay for it or if they do it themselves because now they don't have a son to care for. Um, uh, there's a lot a lot of interplay that um, could be there, but it would, it would help to have worn hands, rough hands, um, or, or just chafed hands from a day's work to make it seem more realistic that the lens would be from uh, the, the focal lens would, uh, have some drive. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, th- I think that's what I'm trying to do with the, with the linoleum piece, but I think that's going to come. Oh, I spent the winter placing new linoleum. Yeah. I think it's the I past tensing of it that makes it yeah. sort of drift yeah. away. Like if you'd spent the day placing new linoleum right. in the bathroom, it would have been a, Oh, okay. You know? We're in the we're in the process of you know renovating the bathroom or whatever. Yeah. Um, I th- I think that that is the conflict that I'm more like. It's like that that is maybe the present uh, conflict here. You know the the work that is uh, being done in different ways and in in different. Um, with different motivations between these two houses, and then um, the past past is this whole thing that obviously it exists in the past but it's kind of everywhere Mm. um which is the conflict between this this narrator's childhood home and the um version of (laughs) the version of this present home that he visited when he was a child Mm. um so that's kind of the conflict that's that's being waged inside inside the characters' heads. Uh, so. Can I offer that between these two houses would be a beautiful title? Oh wow! Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely captures an ethos there. I I, uh, I think that that was a really lovely way of expounding like 
what what is interesting at the end of writing a second draft but like don't ask me how i'm going to go about doing that third draft (laughs) you will sit down with your daily bread and you will listen to this what you've just said and realize that you've said everything you need to do and then suffer the horrible feeling of being incapable of doing it but ultimately realize that it's important and you should consider this an actual piece because it it is man i mean this is uh this is as good as your other stories um and in many ways i see improvements uh in that it has uh it's forced you out of the personal um and uh it really feels like this character feels very distinct from kyle um and there are ways that your other characters can it's hard for me not to see kyle visiting these places and i don't know if you have congratulations if you've created simulacra of yourself being in different places but in that case congratulations more on creating a space where that you exist differently mm-hmm. not in creating a character this does not feel um like you uh and i think that that is that's worth a, a an acknowledgement of a feeling of improving range of improving the sensation of like this, this, you know, that's all it is. It's like the ability to go higher or go lower in your range. And in, Mm -hmm. in whatever, whichever direction you feel this went, it went that way. Um, Mm -hmm. I think lower, I think there's something a little bit more, there's something a little rougher, um, a little, uh, there's no writer here, um, importantly. Um, so yeah. I would keep I would keep pushing on it um, because uh, this this could be done to the point where you feel like it sits nicely in your in your collection. So, all right, um, we'll have to do a part three and then. Um, all right, so <clears throat> you're reading the two tiny adjustments one. I believe I am. I okay. I. Uh, I'll know if you now now, now I'm doubting my. Uh, <laughs> They're both called the same thing, so that's kind of hard. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna double check, make sure, go back. Pretty sure I did, but okay. Here we are. Okay. Nowadays, three big bald cypress have got kept around because they were so big and beautiful. Also. But they've also become a nuisance as every year they drop all their needles and cover a good quarter of the barn's roof. Dirt where they shade most, and it wouldn't be a problem if it were a tobacco barn or something with an extended roof, but it's got a gable roof and the bolts for attaching any ropes are up where only the young and foolish might get to. Cleaning has always been a chore, but it's a barn. The road around it is rutted with tractor imprint from when the rain picks up and makes it all mud. There's kids' toys in half of the old stalls, the worst of last summer's, which were the best of the previous year. The loft now is mostly home for the the rats who avoid the pups by nesting there and making use of the old hay hood hood and trolley to get down into the pig's bean and corn mix and and the doors are always open, no point in closing them. The dryness of the pig feed and ground sheep meal hangs for hours with the doors closed, and it's easier to pass through if both sides get kept open. 
when the tractor lived in there, sure, but the machines back and forth between the compost field and the barn so often now that that parking, it kills man hours that can't be lost. No, the doors stay open. Sometimes on a wicked night, the dogs won't stay asleep and the wind changes direction all night and a sound will whip up through there, something like a long moan. It's a sound that never used to be. Probably because so much of the hay has been forked down for feed or rot, but on harder nights, especially when the dogs start to howl too, that reasoning doesn't seem sound enough. Fortunately, the chickens seem to hold the place together. They find their way into every room, including upstairs the house. Teresa Hen roosted up there, and we weren't sure if she'd got lost or worked her way up deliberately. She was in Bo's room, and it got us thinking and talking about him in a way we'd been avoiding. A good way, eventually. We decided to sell the bed he made, a beautiful thing, and take down the stuff that always gotten to us packed up and posted a few things to the local exchange. It felt good that we knew the folks who came to claim the bed to know we could drive by their house whenever. The chickens and the pigs, the pigs wade through it all. The windstorms, the earthing of the fences, the running dry of firewood, the goats' mysterious illnesses. They just wander along, snogging the forests, west of their pens for truffles since the fences are down and without a soul to reprimand them or chase them into a stall they must be some of the happiest and most natural hogs this side of the pyrenees the pigs and the chickens and us and the dogs in the barn the house the wind look about on a hot summer evening after a day of chopping the mustard or recovering fence line it can it can be easy to think that this is all there is and all there will ever be no city, no festival, no war. And it can be enough to think that in the moment, even if we all know it's not true. All right. I want to go immediately into like critique mode, but I have a a question in that vein do it um i i sh like looking at the last line right like i don't want it to just be struck i wouldn't just strike it out completely because i don't think that i think that the no city no festival no war i think that would be a little bit too strong of an ending um for what this narrator wants but I just don't, I don't want to be told this line as it stands. I kind of want to feel this. Um, and that, that, that's not to say that the line should be removed, but that's the feeling I get at the end of this. I'm like, maybe this is, maybe this is an expression of the thing that the story wants us to leave with, to mm. leave with. And so that is the very thing that should not be put into words. Mm. 
that that's my that's my sense and that wasn't that wasn't my sense after reading it the first time but i think that i paid attention a little bit more in as i i was as i was reading it now and i i think i'm a little bit more on on key with what the story is doing hmm. what about chopping through to no city so what what do you mean by that? Like, from the end up to no city, cross everything off. So we're ending with. It can be easy to think this is all there is and all there will ever be. No city. Uh, no, get rid of no city. No city. So yeah, just all there will ever be. Because there's kind of three. Right. I big... did. I did have that. I, 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 Yes, when when I cross the last line off in my mind, I was like, okay, if you're going to cross the last line off, you need to get rid of the three no's. Um, I think that is definitely more what I uh, what would leave me with more of a punch. Um, I'm not sure if uh, t- taking out war does does uh lighten up the story a little bit because then we don't get as strong of a sense that that Bo died in the war mm-hmm. um we don't get without the without the word city festival and war the world shrinks a little bit yeah um and but maybe they they can be incorporated elsewhere or in a different line but i do i do think that the story as it is it wants to end with uh with that with just that thought that this is all there is and all there will ever be um leave everything else unsaid yeah Did you, um, how did you go about this? Like, did you, uh, did you just start adding to the end? Like, was that, was there a process that you can trace here? Yeah. Uh, I, I hand wrote, uh, the, the last paragraph. Um, there was kind of the conversation that we had last time was that, that, that moan coming through either weighted it towards the supernatural or just waited it period with the like desire for more to come. Um, and so um, because that wasn't my desire to have that be supernatural in any way, uh, maybe superstitious, um, there was a uh, an inkling for what you asked for, which was more family story or more uh, like of of this world in story form. Um, and, I had read your piece, so felt um, I think that there was some uh, like, okay, am I exposing the death here? Um, is that is that the next step? I mean, that's the easy step. Um, and uh, as far as like, is it interesting to draw more details about like a farm that has no through line outside of this death? Is what I mean by easy, um, and so there was. I, I started writing from there, um, and it was important for me to go into some of the life elements of it. Um, it, 
there was some sort of binding that the chickens could do that chickens always do because they're fucking everywhere. Um, <laughs> and uh, and the fact that the chicken wandered up into Bo's room, like it was just going to get darker. And I'm like, I don't I can't go darker. So it it became a sort of rejuvenative moment. Um, in which things cleaned up. And there was some change to the place to make it more story, um, not just like here's the barn, this is you know static, this is what it is. Um, it's like, okay, the, these people are in the act of doing something. Um, uh, and then I think that, uh, you know, not to, I don't think I need to detail too much how those last paragraphs came about, um, more like how is it written, uh, wrote those three or four paragraphs, handwrit, just typed them up and then read through again and parsed through for some of the kind of uh, one paving over for inconsistencies between the two in terms of language, like using different phrasings, um, but then also uh, wiping out that whole like it's split in half uh, that you didn't like uh, in the second paragraph uh, wherein it was like uh, comb through to – kind of clear out some of the um, the logistical details of the barn, always having some hopefully like emotive tie uh, within the sentence rather than um, just like, here's the barn, here's the loft, that's the that's the back alley, da 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 da, da. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, I, I think the biggest move to make in the first, the revision of the first four paragraphs was – moving no the door stay open to its own line to kind of close that down i my -hmm. hope here was that that kind of like uh, reduced the emphasis on um on the the sound and made it more like as a result of the fact that the doors always stay open in the barn there's the sound that comes through it's just kind of one of the things that happens because of that um Mm -hmm. uh and i hoped too that uh like I think my biggest concern was like I don't really just want to stay on the sound. I don't want to stay on this howling. I don't want to pursue the howling at all. And so to shift to a fortunately the chickens was in some way like here's this like here's this deep night howl that comes through that seems like a, a moan or something maybe mournful or howly or dark and then flip it into chickens and the word fortunately which is uh, fortunately, the chickens is about as bright a sentence or phrase as I could think to write. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I like I really like what you've done with the the noise and the wind. Um, I, I do. I have other things to say, but I think it's important for most important for me to focus in on the last clause of of that paragraph. Uh, that reasoning doesn't seem sound enough. Um, something about the, this wording doesn't really uh, sit well with me because it feels, in a way, too reflective of um, of like an old farmer. Uh, I'm 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 fine with him being superstitious, but I I kind of want to hear that superstition in more mm. of like an old farmer's voice rather than like this feels very writerly like that mm. reasoning doesn't seem sound enough uh 
doesn't there, there are other lines here where you hit the the farmer voice like spot on mm. and um that is not one of them mm-hmm. um you know and i'm i'm wondering uh just for example um what what if the wife or somebody else in the household um uh what what if the narrator could tell us a little snippet of this person being superstitious about that sound like still even though we have this rational explanation for the noise this person gets worked up about Mm. and that that's putting it so much more into story and just saying like this is what happens uh you know i'm not gonna this isn't a novel and i'm not gonna tell you like i'm not foreshadowing anything and i'm not gonna uh like go into that i'm not haunted by this noise so much that this is the reason why i'm telling you this story you know Hmm. um however i i do understand that you're that this is kind of linking to bo's presence and uh, like the the feelings that we get when um we live in a house where somebody has died like there is something to that that i don't uh that i feel like you're exploring Hmm. that you should explore Hmm. Um, and I, I just want to say one of my, fa- my favorite parts of this story is the way that it builds, that you, your details of the place build up to that final line of um, what is basically the last paragraph. The pigs and the chickens and us and the dogs and the barn, house, the wind. Um, I'm kind of a sucker for that kind of line, um, that, that kind of a description, but I think you earn it in a great way like you you've worked up the entire story um you've been telling us about all of these things they've all accumulated in this final line and it gives us the sense of gives us a sense of place but also of time and rhythm like the way that this uh person's life is going is like these are the things i got you know Um, yeah and uh there are times maybe like right now when doesn't really like uh, when i can kind of live and think that these are the only things that i've got Mm. um that there's nothing outside of that um cool well i'm I'm, I'm glad that we're and i'm a sucker for it too and i love it's fun to write those things and it also i think ties nicely to uh essay writing which i hate and we've talked about Mm -hmm. Uh, or I hate the fact that we got drilled on it so hard, but ultimately, like, the drilling kind of works. Like, there's a reason that we get those structures, why concluding paragraphs work and why that's okay. Um, and uh, I, cl- closure seems important. Uh, just just to walk away from a piece and feel like, ah, okay, like, that was not random. That was not just dip and dop and dap and dip and now you put those colors together um to your point about uh that uh that reasoning doesn't sound seem sound enough i think you're right on um and i also like i mean i don't know why i think of streganona but like the the idea of a like another character in the kitchen with a big ass nose uh making a uh like some superstitious gesture at that point as a story really ties me to like that feels like an expansion of what I'm capable of to think mm-hmm. the to write outside the first person is just to relate like 
how to reduce like a small like a a, a painful day of like one person being like the the wind has to stop like we, we need to, we need to close the doors it's like like no we we can't close the doors and like well then i'm gonna set you know three candles out underneath your bed every night or you know some and it doesn't have to be a woman it can just be just like uh can be him can be whoever but um but but that feeling of being reduced to a single sentence of like something that this character has we've been over this we've gotten over that it was a thing we're not going into it like i think that expands that capacity to reduce an entire story to a single sentence that implies like the trials of farm life um is an important uh, thing to note that this is not doing in that case in this sentence's case is um it, there's no uh there's n the argument or the grappling with that reasoning not seeming sound enough does not exist in saying that reasoning doesn't seem sound enough um and i think that's where uh you're right to point out um absolutely that what what's the small story that fits there what happened that what happened over the course of those weeks when the problem got worse and then the problem got solved or just left mm. right that and that's the kind of thing that I feel like is what leaves a short piece feeling like it is a preface to a longer one when it has lines like that that aren't telling the real story, that are just uh, prefacing or laying the groundwork hmm. uh, for something that may or may not actually come. Um, but ju just as a side note, I love the idea of this uh, of this character only being described by they had a big nose. That's the only <laughs> thing we get. That's like the the amount of imagination that you need to like you know spark, use in your own mind. Uh, Fucking Gogol, isn't it? Is Streganona the character? It is. Yeah, look at Streganona by. Um... Uh, by Tommy De Paola. He's like a classic children's book author. And it's this farm wife, S-T-R-E-G-A-N-O-N-A. -A. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah. And all I can remember, all I remember oh, about her oh, was her yeah, nose. Yeah. It's just oh, this fucking, God. there she is, it's baby. Great. Yeah. And uh, what's funny is, well, I'm looking at one where she's standing over a cauldron and it looks very witchy. Yes. Um, and I, uh, that's uh, honestly... If you, if you were to describe a character on and like in this setting in this story with a big nose uh you know like my mind would naturally gravitate towards like is this a witch but yeah. uh, and i don't i i certainly do not want that confirmed or denied if if i'm reading the story and i get that i love the feeling of like oh maybe this is a witch yeah you know? like uh that's that's a great you know like fill in the blank for the reader Man, I haven't looked at Strega Nona in ages. <laughs> cool. She's inspiring. She is inspiring. Strega Nona. Oh, I, I love, uh, she's got a Muppet version. Oh, shit. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a Muppet, uh, like a, a little thumbnail of her as a Muppet, and it's pretty adorable. Oh, my God. Look at her. <laughs> it's the softness of the face. And, like, there's, like, yeah. something completely... Uh, totally kind about Streganona. She can't. She can't. She, it, there's something in the soft, round nose that looks like mm -hmm. just like a a tapers a tapers nose. Wily taper. Matching the matching chin and the too, chin. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah. She didn't have the chin. She would look more evil. I feel. Yeah. Oh yeah. With that sort of like big ghastly mouth. Um, mm. Or if she didn't, if she didn't have the chin, she would also need to not have the mouth. So she would be more of just like the nose and the two just black the eyes nose. and like the hat comes down around that, right. which would be curious. <laughs> yeah, that would be strange. <laughs> There's all sorts of things like that here in Korea. That's like the, the dominant style of creature is this sort of like one weird shaped, they either choose like a nose, a mouth, and then two very cute eyes, but always in a very like big face. Rat, like too much space for the amount of eye or nose. Um, and it's it's amazing to see how the cartoon characters in a different culture exist and how you're like, this is totally new to me. Uh, this is and this is so cute. Like I I buy this, I buy into this. This is this is not like like if I got a Muppet, you know, as a as a gift, I'd be like, oh, this is cool. Like, thank you. But it wouldn't feel this this like it, it wouldn't feel unique. Um, and here it's like every little creature that I find at any store, even if it's a fucking plastic rubber keychain, I'm like, I kind of, I kind of want this list. Like I look at how cute this guy is. <laughs> we could never find this in the States. And it's, it's sort of true. It's just like different, uh, yeah, different shapes, different shapes and settings. Uh, it, uh, there is a point where you realize like, oh, uh, not, like not all of these cultural touchstones, um, are the same across the world. And that's a pretty, it, it kind of shapes you. Cause you're like, like what? what is causing all these differences? Like, I guess we all are, we all are just like radically, radically different down to our core, you know, even the, th even the things that we think are cute. Yeah. Um, well, I'd like to ask a closing question for you. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, at the very beginning of when we were talking, you said, that when you read certain film prefaces, uh, they can seem absolutely bonkers. And I was wondering if you might lend two or one, if you just want one or three, recommendations for a bonkers film preface that ended up being a movie worth watching. Oof. And if, I have one immediately off the top of my head, and I'm pretty sure that this is the kind of movie that if you've seen it, this would be your answer. Like, this is immediately on the top of your list. And uh, it's called Swiss Army Man. Um, I recommend this to mo most humans. I, like, I can see somebody having a certain kind of sense of humor they would that they straight up wouldn't enjoy it but i think most people who are open to new things and are willing to go on an adventure um certainly you eric i would love for you to see this movie uh swiss army man um it's got paul dano and daniel radcliffe if that you know sways anybody's opinion uh, uh the, to the better um and then let me think about uh and so i guess the exercise there would be yeah read the first read like a line or two on wikipedia and right. see if that doesn't just like make your head spin let me uh let me i'll read the the google uh oh. real quick so swiss army man hank gets stranded on an island and decides to end his life however he notices a body at the shore and goes to investigate 
Eventually, he befriends the dead body, and the two embark on an adventure. It's not as bonkers as, like, the, I, I feel like I would write it differently. Sure. But, uh, of course, they need to put it in, like, the most gentle way <laughs> physically possible. Because um, that all happens in the first 60 seconds of the movie. And then the rest, like, you know, it go, it pops off from there. Um, and I'm trying to think of a second one. I got a second one uh, for you. I'll fill yeah. it for you. All right. So this was shown to be my, my mom's husband, who has a lot of great movie releases or movie ideas. Uh, Repo Man. Repo Man. Repo Man okay. is a 1984 sci-fi comedy. Um, Otto, a young punk rocker, joins a small automobile repossession firm as a recovery agent. Soon, he stumbles upon a bizarre plan to find a stolen car containing aliens in exchange for a high reward. Oh, hell yeah. Check it out. Sounds like a run. Yeah, Yeah, check it out. It's like that. That is a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb. 98% 98% <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes and 82% oh, yeah. on Metacritic. But, well, um, yeah. Uh, that would be, uh, we, we could do this as a recurring segment on the nudge where, like, one of us reads a lot, like a movie description, and uh, others just have to, you know, you just have to fill in the blanks and try to, try to imagine, like, how, do, how does one star connect to the others here? You know what might um, be fun? I think this. I think this would be interesting. But um, as a so, you we've got a line a, a story lined up from you for next week. I'm hoping Matt will have an interview. If he doesn't have an interview, uh, I've got somebody who we can interview in two weeks. Um, but then in three weeks, my thought is: is we do something like this. We write. Oh, it, there's the Google sidebar thing, right? Uh, uh, where when you search for a, a movie title and it gives a little thing. Um, each of us will write, let's say three, just for the, the sake of practice. We'll write three um, movie listings uh, for bonkers films that don't actually exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we will uh, we'll hand those to each other. Well, we can have the cards mm-hmm. and then each other person. Oh, let's write. Yeah, let's write three. Each other person can pick one from each person. So we all end up taking uh, – we all, we all get one of our own and we all get one from each other person and we all have mm-hmm. to write like an expansion uh, of the plot summary for mm-hmm. what continues to happen based on this bonkers film mm-hmm. premise. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, we did this kind of similar thing in screenwriting where you just have to, uh, do three stages of a film description. And one is, you know, that short thing. The next one is like three small paragraphs and the next one's three big paragraphs. And it was just like really fun and interesting to see how, how things happened. All of the things that we've been describing in this episode, um, in writing, it all is contained there in microcosm in that activity. Cool. Um, Would you want to participate oh, in something like that? Sounds super fun. Yeah. Okay. Sure. 
cool. start thinking of my imaginary movies right now. Yeah, do it. All right. Uh, well, here, uh, we could keep talking, but why don't you take last words on what the stream says? What the stream says? Um, like the live stream? Yeah. Oh well, I mean, I think I think that we can leave it there. I don't uh, I don't have any parting words. Uh, just until next week when we we uh, do our um, when we review my new story. Thank you for joining us. This was the nudge.